Okay. One of the things that recently has been very much on my mind and has been the topic of our continued exploration is the notion of how self-perception or self-distortion very often indicates or predicts the way that we're going to interact with people and with our lives and the degree to which we can really take off. So there's a Ramban in this week's parasha, which is perfectly timed because oh, right now I'm going to vote for Shabbos, this is cool. Because now you can go to your family of your choice and you can have the full right to vomit this up at a point in time to make yourself look clever and forget about the relevant value to it and the kind of the potential for tra- tra- transformation. Um, there's a Ramban. There's a Ramban. Hi, Ed, how are you doing? So, na- so nice to see you. I'm really glad that you could fill us in. No, it's a, just a sincere gesture of appreciation. Thank you. Really? The least I can do. After all that you've done for me. Sorting out like the whole uh, Shabbaton. Zero. I'm sure you do many, many other things like behind the scenes. I need to do more. Amazing. So you're the guy that I'm about to speak about. Here we go. So there's this thing that in the in in the narrative of the the historical journey of the Jews through the desert to the promised land, there was this point where they decided to create some form of a place of a place of worship. So some kind of like spiritual island in the desert that they could have a easier time facilitating connection with the higher being. That was called the Mishkan. And in order for that to be built, it required a group participation on all the members of the people at the time. In other words, there was something very specific about every and each person contributing to the, the, this structure, to this place. It wasn't that we needed the materials and therefore, well, we'll go to the people to give the resources. It was very, very a different direction. We needed the collaboration in order for this to be a meaningful, in order for this to be a meaningful and powerful place for people to be. Because the degree to which I think there's a, if you, if there are seats over there, if you, if you want, there's like a whole, a whole kind of, you know, um, backstage place, and you can sit next to Steve. He's okay as long as he's got his seat. There's, you can have your seat. We can all have each other's seats. It's good. It's good. Just like to welcome Asha. Thanks for coming, Asha. The share went over time. The share went over time beforehand. Yeah. Now I'm asking you, is that why you're late? Uh, no. Ah. You're just late. Yeah, I'm sorry. Well, I mean, you don't have to be sorry. I mean, as you know, we're just happy that you're here. Appreciate it. I was just thanking Adam for, you know, being here as well. And also Daniel. Yeah. Thank you all. Thank you all. You're welcome.
Thank you. Okay, so um, over here, there's so everyone had to contribute, and the reason why they had to contribute it wasn't like, oh, we need we need people, and therefore the people were secondary, and the contribution um, was primary. But the people were primary in order to construct a collaborative structure, a place where people could be spiritually connect. If they didn't have a an, <coughs> an investment in that process, so they wouldn't be theirs. So they needed to contribute for themselves. Not only in terms of financial resources do they need to put in their piece and they had to contribute their assets, but also from a skill set. It was an extremely difficult structure with ex- amazing refined craftsmanship that allowed it to, to be made. It was very, very specific and there were a lot of intricate details which required an enormously high skill level to perform. So the problem is, well, where do they get the training from? Where do they get the training from? S- some of the tapestries were so innate that they, they had to be woven, they had to be woven into this really delicate fabric and had to have two different images on each side. It, it, it was a difficult thing to do. It was a very difficult thing to do. The carvings, the, the manufacturers, the gold, it was tough. So where did people, I mean, they weren't trained for this kind of thing where they came from. So how did they develop the skill set to get there? So the Ramban says the following thing. Came each person whose heart elevated him, which is a very interesting usage of language. That his heart lifted him up. Says the Ramban, This is a reference to the people who are wise and they performed these extremely sophisticated jobs. Now explain, what does this phrase in the Saliboy that his heart carried him mean? It's because none of them had been taught how to do it. They had no one to teach them. And they had no one to train them. So w- what were they doing showing up? Imagine you show up to a, you know, you show up to a job. The job is complex, an engineering job. And the the people, the, the person interviewing says, so, do you have any experience? Have you like, you know, have you, do you know how structures work, design and stuff? And you go, no, not really. So you say to him, so what are you doing here? He said, well, I really want to do it. So he says, okay, but you know, you're not qualified. So now he says a beautiful thing. They didn't know what to do. They found within their nature that they were capable of doing it. And that gave them a certain sense of confidence. An almost unbreakable confidence that, look, I don't know what it is that you're asking from me, but I can do it. An unbreakable confidence in themselves. An unbreakable faith in themselves that they can live up to whatever required for them. And they asked, and 
I don't need David. Whatever you want, I'm going to do it. Power. Rabbi Yucham takes this even further. I want to read you from him. I've, I've copied his words. Rabbi Yucham Levavitz was the mashkech in the mayor in Poland. And he refers to this Ramban. And I'm going to read to you what he says, or translate to you what he says. He brings down the Ramban, and now he says the following thing. If you look around the world, at the tycoons, the really huge, huge billionaires, how do people make it big? Generally, it's based on their ambition and vision. They realize that they can do it, or they believe they can do it. Without this internal belief in self, that I can conquer the world, and I can be completely great, it will be absolutely impossible to achieve any level of ultra-success. They realize that the stuff they're made of is a stuff of greatness. And that's what's going to push them forward. And if you don't have this, you'll become a tiny little insignificant person. And that's where you'll remain. This is fascinating. Because what does it require for a person to be insanely wealthy step number one before anything else the belief that I can be insanely wealthy if you don't have the belief that you can be a billionaire you can never ever be a billionaire because yourself obstruct when an opportunity presents itself to you you will not allow yourself to acknowledge that opportunity if you don't believe you can be an Olympic champion you'll never be an Olympic champion because when they come to, even if you're talented, but when they come, the, the, the talent scouts come to spot you, you won't perform because you think, well, they're not, they're not looking for me. Success, ultimate success, is not a function of even skill set, but of internal perspective of who I am. And the greater I believe I am, the greater I can become. And if I'm endowed with the ultimate talents, but I only view myself as a small person, I can never go beyond that glass ceiling. It's incredible that the roles of success. So I'll give you a couple of, of examples of this. I watched a, a TED talk by a woman called Jennifer Cohen. She grew up in Winnipeg. And she was she wanted to be she wanted to be an actress and she wanted to 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 get a feature in a film, but she needed to back in the day send a demo video. And she heard that a very famous actor was coming to Winnipeg to perform in Shakespeare. In a Shakespearean play. So she said, Fantastic. I'll get him to be in my demo and that will get me the job. So she told her friends she's going to go and approach him and then he'll be in the demo and then she'll get the job. And everyone laughs like, she's like, yeah, you're a 17, 18 year old, like why, why, why would anyone, why would anyone want to 
why would anyone want to, you know, why would this famous actor want to collaborate with you? She says, why not? So she waited out the theater for two hours, and when he came out, she ran over to him between all the fans, and she said to him, listen, I need you to be in my demo video, because um, that's going to get me the job. Can we do this? And he said, I, I don't know what he's talking about. He said, well, I really need your help. And he said, I'll give him an autograph. He said, that's not going to help me. I actually need your help. So he said, what's her name? So she, she borrowed someone's eyeliner and she wrote on a piece of chewing gum wrap her name. She gave it to him. And then she was so excited because now she's got like his opportunity. He's going to phone her back. And so um, she told all the friends and they said, phone you back. He's pushing you off. Three days later, her mom said, this guy phoned you. He left a message on the answering machine, and I don't know who he is. And uh, so, it was him. And a day later, they were sitting in her living room with three of her friends with old camcorders making a demo video. And she became, got the job, entrepreneur, sold businesses worth millions of dollars, and she says the following thing. She says the following thing. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. What you require in life, people who have this trait will succeed and people who don't have it won't. The cleverest people who don't have boldness will not succeed. And people who aren't that clever but do have boldness will. And what does boldness mean? Boldness means that it's the <coughs> 9 out of 10 rule. If I try something 10 times and I'm willing to fail 9 of them, I'll be a success on the 10th. So she's telling me the outskirts, the outer lying behavioral patterns of the inner. But what gives the person the, the gusto to try 10 times and fail 9 out of 10? The belief in their own greatness. And they recognize, okay, it's just, it's just a kind of, it's a matter of time before I hit it. But you have to be prop properly have a very solid belief in self, because otherwise when you fail the first time, you go, oh, I'm really not that good. When you fail the second time, I'm really not that good. This is the third time, I'm really not that good. By the time you get to the fourth time, you're just throwing in the towel. But if you know, if you know from the get-go, this is the way it works. I'm going to fail 90% of the time, and the, tenth, the, the, the last 10% of the time, I am going to get it. Well, I just have to wait for that. They just have to wait for that. So if I'm trying to get, if I'm trying to sell something, if I call 100 people, so 90 of them will say no, 10 of them will say yes. Adam? How do you justify that to call it craziness of, you know, try, uh, try again, it's not working, you're just doing the wrong thing. For right. example, selling, maybe you're selling rotten bananas. Right, right, or three inches pieces of string. So let's say I want to sell three inch pieces of string. Now the problem with a three inch piece of string is it's very difficult to use. So okay, well listen, obviously my Media strategy is not correct. So I got a whole new idea, put a beautiful girl, three inch piece of string, next to a bath and say, put an end to water problems. Super absorbent, three inches pieces of string. Still doesn't work. So I think, okay, uh, how about this? You have like a national like thing of a flood and then you say three inch pieces of string, stopping floods. Also doesn't work. Because three inch piece of string is not a, is not a commodity that's really, they're marketable. So it can't be that you've got nothing to sell. We're starting with the premise that you have it, but that you lack the belief. If you have nothing to offer, you're 100% right. But this is a beautiful thing. You know, our brains can do something at some study that can do like 80 million calculations in the space of a second. 
So, so, so there's, there's no internal lack of talent. We have, we have almost unlimited internal resources. But we just don't have the belief in our unlimited inter- internal resources. Once, once we get them, and, and do you know what happens? Number one. Number two, imperfect action with feedback loop. I imagine that those ten times that you try and you fail, fail nine of them, it's not that, oh, I failed again. No. What did I do wrong? Adjust for next time. Boom. What did I do wrong? Adjust for next time. So actually, in the tenth time when you succeed, well, you're, you're up your game nine times before that. So you're getting closer and closer. Yes, Avram. How do you make this work if somebody is trying to learn how to be more humble? Because what is... What's a connection? Humility means, humility means that I'm so deeply in touch with my unlimited gifts, recognizing that they are such superpowers, they didn't come from me. They must have come from a higher force. And the more I realize how endowed and talented I am, the more humbled I become in face of my own self. These can't, this is not my stuff. No way, I can't make this level of talent that I see inside of myself. So ironically, it's the opposite of what people think. They think humility is self-abnegation. Nothing. It's true, the I, that ethereal I is nothing. But the talents are unlimited. And the more I recognize the unlimited power of my talents, and I recognize they're not something that I made, I didn't construct them, the more humble I come in front of myself, and the more charged I become to use them for a good purpose, because they're not mine. They were given to me, deposited by me. I better use them. So this idea is, is, is crazy, but think about it. This is the basis of any tzaddik that ever took a step forward. Think about Avram Avinu. And think about the stuff that holds us back. What's the kind of stuff that tells me that I can't think they're great? Well, I come from a family. And in my family, no one ever really made it big. So how can I make it big? Some people get over that. I come from a place, and I, you know, my society, it's like that's not the done thing. I live in a tall, tall, anti-tall poppy society. There's this notion of the tall poppy. That you've got all these poppies growing at the same, same, same height. And if a tall poppy grows, you cut it down because it doesn't look right. There are societies like that. Everyone wants to like, strive for the same level of mediocrity. Or even excellence. But not genius. You see, we've got <coughs> three functional levels of being. We can function in our level of competence. We can function in our level of excellence. But that's not doing it. To really become relevant, we have to function in our level of genius. And when you transcend from excellence to genius, that's when the magic starts to happen. Most people function in competence and excellence and they don't get to genius. And that's such a, that's such a tragedy because that's where they are. That's where the person's unique ability, being, individuality lives. So Avram Avinu, Lech Lecha, go to yourself. To yourself. How'd you get there? Go away from the, your cultural mores that you brought up. And go away from your own personal thoughts of limitation based on your physical parameters. And go away from your family systems, your paradigms of what your parents were and what your brothers were and what your sisters were. You make your, carve your own way. Carve your own way. There are no limitations. There are no limitations. And then we've got this strange reflective process that the major, the, the major says, a person should ask himself, 
When will I become like Avram Avinu? When I'll become like Yitzhak? When I'll become a Yaakov? But that's, that's an insane thing to ask, isn't it? Insane question. I mean, who do I think I am? And it's a requirement for me to ask that question. But who do I think I am? The answer is, I'm a potential Avram. Because if I wouldn't be, I couldn't ask that question. I'm a potential Yitzhak. I'm a potential, I'm a potential giant. And if I have to ask myself, when am I realizing that potential? Now, this is an incredible thing. If I think of myself in a given way, my subconscious brain will go work overtime to make that into a reality. The subconscious serves the vision that I have for myself. And the thoughts that you have in your mind are forthcoming attractions. So if you're always like visualizing how you're going to fail and how you're worthless, now that's what pans out in your life. And when you visualize how you're going to absolutely smash it and how you're going to be an incredible, that's what will pan up in your life. So when you realize that you're a millionaire, so then your brain will start to figure out well how that's, your subconscious will facilitate ways for you becoming that way. If you think about well how am I going to master shas, so your brain will start working how you're going to master shas. If you think about how am I going to become a person that has no trace of anger and suffuses every interaction with love, so your subconscious will start to figure out how to do that. But if you try to be, I want to be a person that's not that irritable always. Okay, so then you'll be a person not that irritable always. But why would you stop there? Why would you be a person that never ever gets angry and feels completely calm in all situations? Wouldn't that be a better thing? to Anywhere it's going to happen, whatever you think is going to happen, so rather think something big than think something small. And that's what Rabbi Yuchim brings down is the cloud. You can only be what you can imagine yourself to be. And therefore, why don't you just imagine yourself to be the greatest thing that you can? Now, as, as Adam pointed out, it's not incoherent, it can't be incongruent. You have to then find the stuff inside of yourself. But we all have it, no question. We're just incredible, incredibly powerful beings. Sasha. How do you not flame out? Like, there's a lot of people, they, like, they, you know, obvious example is guys come to Yeshiva, they're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing, I'm going to become a tzaddik, whatever, and then they flame out, and then they, like, lose everything. Right, so if a person, a person, there has to be a certain kind of grounding in that process. So that's why it's actually, it's much trickier when you have a spiritual aspiration than when you have a material aspiration. In other words, it could be, it's, it's, it's much healthier to begin with wanting to make a million. Because you can't flame out in wanting to make a million. Because there's a, there's, there's, there's a metric that will tell you if you're on the path or not. When, 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 you, when you flame out trying to be the next God Lador, so because you have a total distortion of what's going on, your actions don't have a me- metric to measure them, so then you, you think you're there. You're failing, but you think you're succeeding. So it's much harder. That's why you need, if you're going to do that, which I, I recommend, but you need to have a trustworthy sounding board to grade what's actually happening with you. But you, I just want to make sure you're clear. You, you mentioned there might be a difference between the physical versus the spiritual. And I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. I think even in the physical world, like for example, I did I did martial arts for like ten years, and it's like you don't start like someone who, with the stuff that you teach a black belt. You have there's levels to things. Okay, so what happens like this? Let's say I want to become I want to become the next MMA champion. 
So what happens? I started imagining what I would look like in the ring, deflecting every box and kick. I started visualizing it for myself. And then I go into the I go into the mat and I start to train. And I realize I only have the flexibility. Can't touch my toes. Okay, I got to stretch because I've got that vision and in that vision the person that I'm going to become is super supple and then I realize I don't have the muscle strength so I start pumping in the gym and then I realize I don't have the timing so I start to work on my timing I start to work on my steps I start to work on my working with a partner I start to but I've got that vision I know where I'm going but if I wouldn't have that vision so then I'm, I'm kind of like um, I want to be a I want to be a yellow belt. So then I will slow down the process. I, I'm not striving for for anything great. Now I could be in the course of my vision to become an MMA master, world class master. I may recognize that that's actually not the thing that I I need to be, and I'll become something else great. But having visions of greatness is a necessary prerequisite for utilizing the incredible, unlimited capacity that we carry around as gigantic human beings. That's a new path for me. As you can see, I'm like, <laughs> not sitting here for nothing. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Coming up next. Coming up next. Wax on, wax off. Um, yeah. Could be. I mean, I don't personally have a, a goal to be an MMA master. Um, let's see. Um, just emphasize how in the physical world, there's almost steps you can take to get somewhere. If you want to be a mo- uh, MMA, this is what you have to do. The world tells you where you are. There's a, there's a very good feel. There's a great gauge. So when it comes to the spiritual world, when you let's say want to work on a mirror or you want to work on that's emotional mirror, world. Yeah, there's emotional world. Part. Physical, spiritual, emotional, emo- physical, emotional, spiritual. We don't have. There's no like this. Who's we, pale face? Who's we? Who, you don't have. I don't you have don't have a metric to gauge if I want to be there. How to get there? Step right. Step right. So my question is: Is there? No, I don't have time. Object, huh? No, I don't have time. No, I don't have time to be there to show you how you're growing. But if you find someone who would have time, then they'd be able to say to you, help you become aware of your growth and to see how far you've progressed, both in the emotional and the spiritual. Sorry? No, (laughs) I have to be training, but... Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I've got, I'm already two days back on my nunchaka practice. Can I add something quickly, maybe to what you see? You don't sound like you're saying quickly at all. It is, it's quickly. <laughs> well, I've seen, 